This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. And, and same statistics apply to both, both populations when it comes to um, domestic violence, when it comes to uh, marriage, I don't want to say marriage um, statistics, but just a couple statistics and, and being partners, um, all those sorts of things, how often they break up, how often they stay together, um, those things are all kind of stable. So uh, I think that's important to be aware of, and I think that's important to kind of keep in mind in this presentation. So uh, while we wait for the presenter, are there any questions? Does anybody have any questions about uh, domestic violence? or about uh, GLBTQ population, anything like that. I, can't, I don't know how well I can answer the domestic violence questions, but I'm sure that Suzanne and Sharon would be more than happy to do that. So no, no. Raise your hand, just raise your hand if you know somebody who is GLBT or Q. Yeah. Um, and raise your hand, keep your hand up if um, you know, they're dealing with, with some issues that you didn't have to deal with if you are straight. Yeah. There's a lot of things that kind of go on. Um, the whole coming out process is, is really a process, like I said, and it's, it's actually, uh, it can be very, very uh, stress-inducing, I guess, um, for the individual because a lot of times we have this idea, or not we, but uh, the, the general idea or the, accepted belief is that um, homosexual individuals choose that lifestyle and really we're kind of trying to move away from that and in my in my workshop on Tuesday we talked about how um, whether or not you believe that they choose or whether or not you believe that they're born that way the fact of the matter is that they do have these struggles in the coming out process um, and, you know, they believe a lot, a lot of homosexual individuals, I don't want to say all, because I know, personally I know some who, who said it was a choice, but um, I know a lot, of, a greater majority that said it was not a choice, that it said it was something that they were kind of born with. Um, so with that, you know, whether you believe that it's a choice or whether you believe that it's something they're born with, they, uh, the, the, at least the people that I know um, who said it's not a choice, you know, deal with a lot of struggles, and they believe that, that it wasn't a choice, that they were just kind of born that way. So um, one of the questions, actually, can I, can I play that video? Okay, I'm going to play a short clip for you guys. Um, let me see if I can get to it. There it is. All right. And in this, in this video, um, oh, okay. I'll move away. Okay. So with this video, I will, um, it, it just, it makes a point about um, assumptions that heterosexual individuals might make about uh, GLBTQ population. Let's see. I can't talk and type at the same time. It just doesn't work. Okay. Okay. All right. Raise your hand if you've seen a, pre a Prezi presentation. Sorry. Nice. So I get to be the first one to show you oh, if I can log in.
you, I don't know what happened. Why did I stop typing? There it is. Okay. assume that's the presenter on the phone. I'm sure he's probably asking what we all want for lunch. We ask you a few quick questions. All right. Do you think people are born gay or choose to be gay? Gee, that's a good question. I'm glad the research is still going, but I think probably it is a natural genetic predisposition. And it depends on uh, on what they grow up finding out. I think it's a choice later in life, but it depends on upbringing. They choose to be gay. You think they're born gay? Probably so. Yes. I just wonder if animals choose their sexuality. Uh, I don't think they choose. I don't think humans choose. I think they choose to be gay. I don't think they be, they're born that way. Can we ask you a few quick questions? Do you think people are born gay or choose to be gay? Say that again. There are some of both. Have you talked to anyone about it? Sure, and they say there's differences in their brains. I think it's a matter of choice. When did you choose to be straight? Well, that's a good question, too. When did you choose to be straight? Um... That's, that's a good call, man. I didn't choose to be. Mm, good question. I just kind of came along that way. Uh, I never chose. That's just a, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. When did I choose? I don't, I don't know if it was a choice for me. I just, I just was born that way. <laughs> you think it's the same for gay people? I, I think so, probably. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I never thought about it. I really didn't. I just, who I am who I am. You think it's the same for gay people? Maybe. Maybe that's true. I think that's an important point. Um, I like how the lady said at the end, I am who I am. And I never chose, she never chose to be straight. And a lot of times we have this assumption that, um, if we have the assumption that homosexual individuals chose to be gay, um, you know, we, we really didn't stop to think about when did we choose to be straight um, and kind of how that developed. Uh, there's a number of questions, actually, a handout that I gave out, and you can probably actually find it online. Um, questions for, it's questions for heterosexual individuals, I believe the title is, and I actually asked a number of different questions, and the questions are actually questions that um, GLBT population get all the time about their sexuality, like what cho what made you choose to be gay? What do you think caused you to be uh, homosexual? Um, you know, why do you try and force your lifestyle on us? Um, and all the questions are reframed towards heterosexual individuals, um, such a, like the ones that I just named, and even why are heterosexual individuals so focused on sex? 
um, because a lot of time uh, gay individuals get asked that question or that's posed to uh, the gay community. And really, if you think about it, look in the media, look at all the emphasis that we um, as a society put on sex and sexuality and um, how much we use it in commercials that really have nothing to do with that. You'll see two people kind of undressing and it will be a commercial about gum or something like that. It really has nothing to do with the product that they're selling, but people are paying attention. So really, you know, think about the focus that we have and how can we, one, question that of uh, another population that doesn't fit our norms or our ideas. You know, it's, it's just hypocritical to think of it that way. So uh, one of the questions also says, with the number of mental patients being heterosexual, being so much, such a, a greater proportion being heterosexual, um, why, why do you think that heterosexuality is normal? You know, because we have this idea that homosexuality is not normal and uh, that it's some sort of mental disease. The um, APA actually took uh, homosexuality off the mental mental disorders and mental illness list back in like 1973, 1976. I always get the two mixed up. Um, but they, they no longer say that it's a, it's a mental disorder or mental illness because it's not. You know, it's just not. Um, so it, it's something to think about. Um, I believe our speakers here as I'm watching uh, Sharon. So um, I'm going to give you guys a little time to kind of process what I talked about. Um, not that you need a ton of time, but um, as the speaker comes in, I'll let him get set up in that. So thanks for listening to me kind of um, just say my part. So. Hello, how are you all? Matthew, thank you very much for all the val valuable information you shared. Um, my name is Sharon Brennan. I work in the counseling department. Um, I'm joined by Matthew Cullen, one of my colleagues, and my um, colleague who has helped arrange today with me, Suzanne Nasser. Um, our wonderful speaker, who is not from the area, has found his way to our beautiful campus. Um, his name is Dorian Harris. He comes to us from South Suburban Family Shelter. Um, it's a domestic violence agency that serves families who are um, dealing with issues surrounding domestic violence. They offer outreach, counseling, court advocacy, medical advocacy, um, and we're really glad he could be here. Um, if you have questions, um, do you prefer them to leave questions till the end or at any time? Yeah. If we can leave them to the end, since we're starting a little late, we can get all the information. Um, but I encourage you to ask, and um, thank you for being here. And we'll let him get started. How are you all doing today? <laughs> Sorry for my tiredness. Uh, like said, I'm actually from New Orleans, Louisiana. So getting here was kind of like, oh, where am I going? You came from Louisiana to do this presentation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually live here now. So I just am trying to um, thank you. I appreciate it. Let me find this presentation. I actually just finished doing another presentation. 
Well, like I was introduced, my name is Dorian. You call me Dorian D. However you all feel comfortable calling me that. Um, I do work for South Suburban Family Shelter. At the agency, I am a uh, facilitator for the 29-week abusers intervention program, whereby abusers would become, commit a very violent act towards their partner. They would, of course, go to jail for it if the victim decides to, um, can't hear me? Okay, got it. So just, no, no, that's fine. I'll walk around. That's fine. So what happened is, that's fine. So what happened is an abuser would commit a violent act towards their partner. If their partner decides to call the police, that abuser will go to jail might spend one night in jail, he'll get out of jail, and he has to go to court very soon. And sometimes, and we'll talk about the dynamics of domestic violence, sometimes the victim may decide not to press charges for whatever reason. Everybody has their reasons. And so because the good state of Illinois is so, wants to be domestic violence free, what will happen is the district attorney will pick up the charges and will have the abuser sentenced to a 29-week abuser intervention program. So it is court-mandated. And we at our agency run groups all during the week. I facilitate uh, five groups, actually, throughout the week. And it's one day a week for participants for two hours. And they do have to pay, and it's based upon a sliding scale. And we go through a series of psychoeducation with the uh, abusers to get them to try to change behaviors. Okay, so we'll kind of talk about that. Whenever I do presentations, I don't like monologues. I hate it in college. They would sit and they'll talk to me for hours. And I'm like, my mind goes somewhere else. So if you do feel the need to want to ask a question, please just stop, definitely. So once again, I'm Doreen Harris. Uh, the credentials, I'm actually a speech-language pathologist by trade. And I got into DV as a result of graduate school. And so I kind of like do this in conjunction with speech pathology, okay? All right, so what is domestic violence? I say I like dialogue, so you could just throw different things down. We'll kind of talk about it. What is domestic violence? Do you all know? Anybody? Is it just hitting? Pattern of abuse. Pattern of abuse, absolutely, okay. All right, because we kind of like... Okay, so what domestic violence is absolute pattern of abuse. This is the textbook's version of what domestic violence is. Domestic violence is a pattern of physical and psychological abuse, threats, intimidation, isolation, or uh, economic coercion used by one person to exert power and control over another person. Okay, what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing, because when I read it for the first time, I was like, what does this mean? So what domestic violence is, is when somebody wants to gain power and control over someone they live with, have a relationship with, or share a child with, okay? So simply put, how can you catch a domestic charge? Two individuals living together over the age of 18, get into a verbal altercation, physical forces pass. The police is called. You can catch a domestic charge. Two individuals who share a child together, you may not have been together, whether it's in a heterosexual relationship or the homosexual relationship, you share a child together, you haven't been involved with each other for a, a couple of years, and physical forces pass somewhere down the line, you will catch a domestic charge. Why is that? Do you know why? Because you share that child together. Let's say, for instance, you want to start a romantic relationship with someone and you decide to go out on a date with them for the very first time and the person you're with is so abusive they don't want you to order beef they want you to order fish and chicken because they believe that fish and chicken will help you stay in shape right 
So you want to gain, you have your own power. You say, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead on. I'm going to order my beef that I want and my steak that I want. And they decide to take up the glass of wine and throw it in your face. Now, this is the first date, right? The, you call the police, they will catch a domestic charge. Why is that? The intention of that date is to gain what? To build a romantic relationship, hopefully, hopefully, if you like the person, right? So anything dealing with a romantic relationship or building a romantic relationship is domestic violence, okay? All right. When it comes, is this just off? Huh? F4. That's okay. Alright, good, good, good. So if you do, if it goes in, hold down function. F4. Okay, I got it. Okay. LGBTQ, the basics, okay? What is sexual orientation? How does one view their own sexual orientation, okay? What are some of the factors? So when we talk about domestic violence, a lot of times we do not consider that domestic violence involves same-sex relationships, Okay. And when I actually realized that getting into domestic violence, I was thinking to myself, are you serious? We see more domestic violence in same-sex relationships just as, as we do with the opposite sex relationships, okay? So this is just some bias. What is sexual orientation? Is how someone integrates the following factors, okay? Who are you attracted to, right? That's how it all starts off. Depends on who you're attracted to. Depends on your sexual orientation. The behavior, which is the relationship and the sexual practices that you engage in with one another in order to perform that attraction. And then the identity piece, how you view yourself, okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth. Function F4, right? Okay, there we go. Okay, gender identity, okay? This piece of domestic violence deal with how you basically view yourself. Because there are some people in the world, and it's fine, an LGBTQ population, who is born with a penis but identify themselves as females. And when they do come into domestic violence facilities, we address them as such. If you come in and your birth name is Bob and you want to be called Brianne, I'm going to call you Brianne. Okay? So, and if I don't do that, that will be gaining power and control over them because it's not respecting their sexual identity, okay? All right. Some myths and facts that we had. Now, I actually have to take, take I took this one down because I just did a, a DV uh, presentation this morning at the University of Chicago. But what do you think some of the myths and facts are about domestic violence as it relates to the same-sex uh, relationships? Anybody? It's kind of quiet. Do you think it's the same dynamics as it is in the heterosexual relationships? Do you think so? Some of the myths are, one is that domestic violence in the straight relationship is not the same as in the gay relationship. Can we all agree that that's not true? It's not true at all. It is not the same because the dynamics of the relationships are not the same. Okay? When you look at sexuality in and of itself, and I don't call... Um, I don't call homosexuality a lifestyle because the lifestyle is something that you can suggest that can be changed. This is who this person is and this is who they are. It governs the way they see themselves. It governs the way that they see the world. It governs their, their interaction with other people, right? And so when you look at domestic violence and you look at the relationship amongst other people, you have to take everything into consideration. So no, it is not the same. Another myth that we have in domestic violence is 
if the if the relationship is so bad, why don't they leave? Okay? Why don't you think some people leave? And we'll talk about that more. It's interesting when we talk about domestic violence, it gets very quiet. It's just a very uncomfortable topic, and I understand that. They're afraid. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a domestic violence professional, it is never our goal to know why a victim stays. It's their right. You have every right to stay into their relationship. And what we do is we provide the adequate resources that you need to get out of the relationship if you choose to. Okay? Another myth, which is, I think is kind of funny, is domestic violence amongst lesbians are worse than domestic violence amongst gays. That is a very common myth. Now, growing up a gay man in New Orleans, Louisiana, you know, you see a lot of dynamics of the life. You see a lot of dynamics. And, you know, when I was in college and you go to the clubs and you want to see a fight, watch two lesbians fight in the corner. It is a serious fight, right? Then, on the other hand, watch two gays fight, right? It's the same dynamics. It is the same dynamics. It's so much rage that's come out for whatever reason when physical force comes forth. It's the same. We often think that it's different, but it's not different, okay? What does the word intimacy mean? When we think of being intimate with someone, what do we think about? Do we automatically think about sex? Do we think about the physical Absolutely. We think about the physical activity, about intimacy. But what else is intimacy? Opening up. Absolutely. A good way to look at the word intimacy, we actually broke this down together as a team in the office, is intimacy. You're allowing someone to see inside of you. How is this done? This is done by having just a conversation with someone. This can be done by, you know, sharing some intimate personal details with someone. I have intimate conversations every time I enter into abuse intervention class. Because the abusers, they share some very detailed, intimate things about themselves that they won't typically share with other people. Now, it's forced intimacy, but it's intimacy because I make them tell me, you know. Um, so, can you be intimate with someone that you're not romantically involved with? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Ways you can harm your partners. Now that we know what intimacy is, and domestic violence is also called uh, intimacy or interpartner relationship violence. It happens within the relationship, okay? So what are some ways that you can harm your partners? At South Suburban Family Shelter, there are six ways that we categorize ways that you can harm your partners. If this is the abuser's intervention class, I would say it's what ways you can abuse your partners. But this kind of sounds a little bit more comfortable for people to talk about. So what are some ways? I'll throw one out, physical. We already know that. Physical abuse. What are five other ways? Call them out of name. name, which is what type of abuse? So what type of ways? Emotion and verbal. Absolutely. So when you look at emotion and verbal abuse, emotion abuse actually goes and ties in with everything, and we'll talk about them all in depth. But that verbal abuse, talking about someone and calling them out of the name, absolutely. So we have physical, emotional, and verbal. What else? Sexual, absolutely. Sexual abuse. What else? Anyone? What about spiritual abuse? Mm-hmm. Huh? Yes. Spiritual abuse? Okay. What if your partner decides they want to just steal your credit cards? What type of abuse is that? Financial abuse. Absolutely, absolutely. So here we are. We have physical, verbal, emotional abuse, which is also called psychological abuse. 
sexual abuse, financial abuse, and, and, and spiritual abuse. So the physical abuse aspect goes like this. We are home and I'm cooking dinner. You have a hard day at work and you didn't put forth your best effort at work and since I'm always going to have a good day and I'm preparing dinner for the family, you come in the house and you want to fish tonight. But we have pork chops on the menu and I'm not changing, right? So you get upset and you decide you want to rant and rave and raise your voice. I ignore you so you don't get that power and control. So then you decide to pick up the pan and hit me with it. Physical abuse. Say, for instance, take that same scenario. You come home, you upset, you notice pork chops, and you don't want to hit me, right? So you ball your fist up and you punch a hole into the wall. Physical abuse. What are you saying when you punch a hole into that wall? What are you saying, huh? What are you saying? The wall should have been you. How do you think I feel? I feel threatened and intimidated. Remember those two words. We're going to go back to that. I feel threatened and intimidated. Let's say, for instance, let me use you as an example. You're sitting down, dinner's ready, I'm grading papers, right? you upset and you come and you just stand over me. Physical abuse, right? Physical abuse can also be, I told you I do not want pork chops anymore. Physical abuse. Physical abuse is also taking the pot and throwing the pot on the floor. Physical abuse, okay? Um, let's talk about verbal abuse. We already said that the verbal abuse aspect deals with... Okay, there we go, okay. Uh, we also say that the verbal abuse aspect deals with, you know, swearing at someone or talking about them, putting them down, right? Say, for instance, we take that same scenario, right? You come home, you're upset because pork chops is on the stove and it's not your fish that you wanted that you like to eat, right? So instead, this, instead you decide to swear at me, right? You say, God damn it, you know, you don't cook my food that I want you to cook and then you just go completely off. Verbal abuse, right? Let's take the opposite of that, right? Same scenario, but instead, instead of telling me how you feel, you decide to go in the room and close the door and don't say nothing at all. Ignore and dismiss. Verbal abuse. Okay? Verbal abuse can also be this, and this happens all the time, and, I, and I, share, I share this in my own personal relationship. You know, my partner loves football. That is just a thing. When we were living in New Orleans, we had season tickets to the games, and so, like, NFL is just a big thing here because we're not home, right? And the dynamics of sports are very different. So, when football season comes, I already understand you don't talk. You just do let them you do all that by yourself, you know. So you come home, and what if I have something important to say? And I have something pressing I want to talk about. And so if this is the television, I want to sit down and have a conversation with you, and you do that. <laughs> verbal abuse. And sometimes verbal abuse can also be, instead of you looking around me, you pick up the remote control and you say, mute, 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 to me. Verbal abuse. How do you think I'll feel if my partner does that? How would you feel? Shut up and unimportant. Absolutely. Verbal abuse can also be if you talk about your partners to other people. Okay? Verbal abuse. Emotional abuse. The mental-emotional aspect of the ways that you can harm your partners is so important because it ties into everything. Physical wounds can go away. We can repair the wall. Words will go away. But that emotional drama, that emotional burden of the words that you say stick with us forever. Okay? So what are some ways you can emotionally abuse your partner? 
you come home and let's say I'm back from out of town and you're home and the house is not clean, right? And I tell you, you know, why didn't you clean the house? I left a list of things for you to do. You just didn't do it. The kids are running crazy. And so as a result, we get into a verbal altercation. You decide you get so upset you want to pick up a toy and throw a toy in my head and then leave the house, right? You come back from leaving the house. What do you, what do you think my partner might say? You know, if you would have just came inside and cleaned up the house, I wouldn't have to pick up the toy and hit you with it. Emotional abuse. It's your fault that I had to hit you. It's your fault that we're in an abusive relationship. That's the emotional abuse aspect of it. Emotional abuse can also be telling your partners, you know what, you're just like your father. You're just like your father. You talk about your father, but you're just like them. That's emotional abuse. What happens? What happen if you're not that close with your father? You don't look at your father with that much regard. Okay? Um, sexual abuse. Sexual abuse is a very hard component for abusers in an intervention program to understand because they do not believe that you can sexually assault your own partner, right? So let me just throw this question out because I do this to everyone. Can you rape someone that you're romantically involved with? Okay. What happens if sex is consensual tonight? We decide, all right, we're in the heat of the moment, we're ready to have sex. We go and we have sex, and somewhere down the line during the sexual experience, I say stop. But you think stop means go. Is that sexual abuse? Absolutely. What is it also called? Rape. Absolutely. And if the police is called, you will catch a rape charge. Absolutely. Here's another question. Can two men in a relationship rape one another? Can they? No. If I'm in a romantic relationship with another man, can he rape me? He can. Are there laws to protect me about that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay? You ever might, might get ridiculed from the police. We at South Suburban Family Shelter, we do not have an LGBT abuse intervention program. So what happens is we have some victims who are victims of domestic violence and who are victims of sexual assault. We'll put them in a victim services, right? But we all are very sensitive and we're aware of the dynamics of LGBT sexual assault and sexual domestic violence, right? But when it comes to the abusive aspect, there is no specific class for that. They get thrown in the class of the heterosexuals, right? And if they're in that class, do you think that they're going to actually say that they are part of the LGBT community? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So we don't have definite research by law to support that. And so in my classes, I can't speak for the other facilitators of the class. In my class, I never say her and I never say him. I always say your partners. Because you don't never ever know who's who in that class. Okay? So yes, you can get sexually raped by your romantic partners. Can two women... Be sexually abusive to one another. Absolutely. What would happen if you come home and you are ready just to get it on tonight? And I say, okay, we'll do it. Just let me finish taking care of the bills and let me finish grading papers. And we'll, 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 I got you. But you coerce me into having sex with you. You say, you know what, I really want it. You know, you always do this to me. It, it won't take long. Let's just go ahead on and do it, right? And I say, well, okay, let's go. Do you think that's sexual abuse? 
Do you think that's sexual abuse? It is. Why? Do you think if you say, okay, let's go, what do you think your mind is doing that sexual experience? On the bills and on other things. And one thing we talk about in domestic violence is that intention. What is your intentions on the relationship? Is your intentions to build the relationship closer together? Or is your intentions to pull the relationship farther apart? And coercing your partner into a sexual activity when they're busy doing something else, do you think that'll bring your relationship closer together? Absolutely not. You might as well get a prostitute. Because your partner's not there for you emotionally and you want that emotional bond with your sexual partner, okay? Financial abuse. No one ever seems to understand this financial abuse aspect of domestic violence. Let's say you, the agreement is you stay home and take care of the house. And since your partner is such a big money breadwinner, he goes out or she goes out, she makes all the money, right? She doesn't come home on Friday with the paycheck. Financial abuse. What might you be thinking if your partner don't come home? Are they out cheating? Are they out, if substance is a problem, are they out using their substance of choice? Are they out gambling, spending all the money? How are we going to get the bills paid? Are we going to have food on the table? Are they, when they decide to come back, will they come back with money? Financial abuse. Financial abuse can also be putting your partners on, giving your partners allowances. Who gets allowances in families? Children. Did you say parents? Yeah, children. Parents give it to the kids. What is it called when two adults talk about financial decisions? It's called a budget. It's called a budget. And a lot of our participants in our programs like to say, you know, well, I put her, I put him on allowance. He only gets $35 a week. Okay. And then we'll just deal with that accordingly. Financial abuse can also be stealing your partner's identity. Buying cars in their name. Buying cell phones in their names. Buying gifts for them after you've been physically abusive with their own money is the financial abuse aspect, okay? Spiritual abuse is sometimes kind of hard to understand. Let's say, for instance, that both of you have your own religion. One partner is Christian. Another partner is Muslim. Forcing that partner to convert over into the Islamic religion is spiritual abuse. Let's say, for instance, that you just like to meditate every morning without even reading some type of religious, religious text. Your partner bothering you while you're taking that meditation moment out is spiritual abuse. Your partner's forcing you to go to church with them is also spiritual abuse. Okay? Now, there's a very difference between forcing someone into something and encouraging them into something. And we deal with that based upon the language that's used. Okay? And we'll talk about that in just a little bit as well. The goal of all of the ways that you can harm your partners is power and control. That is their ultimate goal. That is actually their drug of choice. They will do anything to gain power and control over you, okay? I asked you to remember uh, two words. You said intimidation and fear. So, in order for an abuser to abuse you, you have to, there's some tactics that have to be done. But before we talk about the tactics, how does an abuser look? Just like you and me. As a matter of fact, they may look better than us, to be honest with you. You know, when uh, I talk to my best friends, I have three best friends, and they all often wonder, you know, how I handle being in 
a room full of men who are abusive, you know. And uh, have you all ever seen the movie Sex in the City? Watched, you know, Sex in the City. And you know that, that that series. We always seem to try to categorize yourself, identify yourself with one of the um, characters, right? I won't tell you which one I am, <laughs> but. When you look at that, one of my best friends, Christian, he says, Dory, you can't do that job. And I says, what do you mean? Because when I first thought I wasn't in a relationship doing domestic violence, she was like, you're going to be in a room with a bunch of men who are abusive. And I said, well, you know what, Christian, you're so right, and they don't even look like abusers. In my mind, they are the most charmingest individuals you can ever meet in your entire life. In the lesbian population, we also have female abusers intervention program. A majority, bulk of those women are lesbians. They are the most beautifulest, charming, giving, loving people you have ever met in your entire life. And that's their goal, right? Because if someone comes off on you as being a bully or being a monster, would you be inclined to continue your relationship with them? Probably not. So one of the tactics that an abuser has to do is he, has, he or she has to intimidate fear in you, right? Why would I be fearful of you? I stood over you, right? Were you afraid? You were afraid? You were? <laughs> Not from you. Not from me, right? I don't feel Good. I'm glad. So you should be, right? <laughs> but if yesterday I stood over you and I had the microphone in my hand, I hit you in the head with this microphone and asked, can I stand over you today? Would you say yes? No, you'll be fearful. Why? Because I've done it before, right? So that's that repeated cycle, right? It has to be repeated, right? And so hitting you over the head it created fear, right? So if you're fearful of someone, you also intimidated of them, right? So let's take the same thing. Yesterday I hit you over the head. You saw me walking through the door. You might get a little intimidated. You might get a little uptight, right? It works that way in a romantic relationship. I teach a component, or I teach this ideology that we teach people how to treat us. I teach you how to treat me. In the office every day, I'm going to treat everyone with respect. I'm going to treat everyone with free will. You do what you want to do. I'm not going to pass judgment on you. I'm teaching you that's how I want you to treat me. In your romantic relationships, you do the exact same thing. If you teach somebody, you show them respect, in turn, they'll show you respect. But in a domestic violence relationship, Fear comes because the abuser of that relationship teaches the partner that you always have to be fearful of me. I always have to call and check in with you to make sure that whatever I'm going to put on the stove for dinner, you're okay with it. Because if not, I'm so afraid when you come home, you just might do a repeated act again. Okay? Any questions so far? Okay. What are the characteristics of an abuser? What do they look like? I did a uh, presentation for a school once, and I had all kind of pictures of individuals that abusers may look like. I mean, President Obama was on there. President Bush was on there. We had all types of people on there. Who are the abusers? We don't know. So we characterize abusers at South Suburban Family Shelter as a jealous person. What is a jealous person? What is wrong with them? Insecure, absolutely. A person that likes to isolate you is someone who is also a, uh, an abusive person. Now, the isolation piece sometimes is kind of hard to understand. When I first got to domestic violence, I actually thought that, I mean, you lock me in that closet and you don't come back for me for a couple of hours, is the isolation piece. But this is another way that we can illustrate the isolation piece. Say, for instance, you're in a romantic relationship with an individual. 
the individual you fall in love with them, they've never been abusive to you, right? And so the abuser might say, well, you know what, honey, how about we move out to Frankfurt? And we was just living in Hyde Park, right? So we move on out to Frankfurt. Does anybody know where Frankfurt is? I know, I know now because I did a presentation of it. Nothing is in Frankfurt. Absolutely nothing, right? So you're out there. No one is around. Do you think, wait a minute, that is our silent uh, witnesses. I just saw that. Did you all explain what that is? Isn't that interesting? You didn't explain what it is? Okay, well, I'll explain what that is. That is very interesting. It's like, oh, that looks like it's outside of my office. Okay, good, very good. Um, and so your abuse will move you out into Frankfurt. Okay, do you think your family will come visit you every day like they did in Hyde Park if they live around the corner from you? Probably not, right? And so the abuse will move you out to Frankfurt. Then I'll say, well, you know what, honey, you know, just quit your job. You know, we don't have to worry about going back into the city. I pay for the house and everything. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Isolation. Isolation goes so, as far as say, you know what, since we're out here, you have everything you need, how about we get rid of your car to start saving some money because I want to start taking you on vacations. Isolation. Isolation piece can also be, say, you know what, let's get rid of the cell phone because you don't really need to call anyone because you're always home. The isolation piece, okay? And what the abuser would do is isolate their partners so much that they're so far away from everyone else. That's how they can get power and control because there's no support. Would you be fearful if no one else was in the room and I sit over you? Yeah, you'd be probably afraid. But since you have all this support, you know I'm not going to do anything, right? You might call my job so I don't make it fired. Okay. Uh, a characteristic of the abuser could be the Dr. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality. This personality, this characteristic of this person actually changes from night to day. One moment you're nice, the next moment I just don't know who you are, right? And a lot of abusers like to say, or a lot of victims like to say, well, you know what, he has schizophrenia, or he's bipolar, okay? They change like night and day. Um, deny the abuse, absolutely, which is also the mental, uh, mental abuse, and of course the low self-esteem, right? Now, this is a piece that I actually also wanted to take out. Most reported are males, right? So not true. When you look at domestic violence and the police get a phone call and say you have a domestic charge on uh, 55th and Cornell, immediately you're going to automatically think it's a male and a female, right? Why don't you think males call and report their victims? I mean, report their abusers. Why do you think that? So. Embarrassed, absolutely. Fearful of what, what, what somebody believe me, right? And it's unfortunate, uh, you know, as I talk to the abusers and I try to be very empathetic towards them and understand why they do what they do and not be judgmental. And a lot of them will say, I've been getting abused, but I've never called the police because afraid what society will say. Okay? So that's actually one of the biggest pieces. And another piece of why it's always the males getting uh, reported as the abusers is because men are physically stronger than their partners, typically. If you're talking about a heterosexual relationship, he's physically stronger, and he's probably going to use a lot of physical force to gain power and control. And the uh, LGBT relationship amongst men, you probably have two big physical force coming against you, right? And so sometimes when I do these lectures and I share with someone that I am gay, they may say, well, what do you do if your partner puts his hands on you? I'm going to jump out the window. Literally. Because we're not a violent agency. And 
what am I doing if I retaliate back? I'm just pushing up the domestic violence. Okay, Ayanna Weinstein writes in one of her books that when she was getting abused by one of her ex-husbands, he was strangling her one day. And she noticed when she would fight back and try to get away from him, that's when he would tighten his hands around her neck. But when she went limp and let the violence go and stopped fighting, she noticed he would let up. So when you do fight back in, your, in, the, in the romantic relationship, what you're doing is actually escalating the situation. Okay? Any questions about that? Um, I just wonder about self-defense. Self-defense? Okay, what is self-defense? Fighting back, right. Do you think that if you fight back in a relationship, what are you teaching your partners? Right. We teach get away. Whatever you can do, get away. And so the idea is that don't stay and fight. Yeah, get yourself safe. Safe is always the key. So in a romantic relationship, what you want to understand is that, okay, if I know that this verbal argument may escalate into a physical altercation, let me get away before. So when is the right time to get away? That was actually the question. When is the right time to get away? Only the victim knows. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes, and I'm going to get ahead of myself. We're going to answer that. We're going to revisit that. Absolutely. But this is what I tell the abusers. What self-defense is, if I scratch you in your face and you scratch me back in my face, we go to court, that's that's self-defense. Doing something to you that you did to me. If you scratch me in my face and I pick up this bottle of wine and crack you over here, that's not self-defense. Okay? In the eyes of the law. And so we're working to actually get some of that change as it relates to domestic violence. Okay, what does a victim look like? Who is a victim? What do they look like? Huh? It could be any one of us, all right? Sometimes they exhibit low self-esteem. Sometimes, right? Depends on how they are. I don't work in victim services, so I can't pinpoint a victim to you right away. But I know if you call our office, I can tell whether or not you're a victim because some of the questions that you may ask. Um... Sometimes what a victim may say is, you know, he hits me or she hits me because she loves me. What do you think they learned that from? It goes farther back than the abuser. Family. I share this all the time. Um, and around the Thanksgiving and Christmas table, we talk about, like, my job and what I do with children and what I do with domestic violence. And in my family... Um, Spankings were a very big part of the culture. That's just what happened. You cut up, you got your behind whipped, right? That's abuse. Every time my father would whip my behind because I'd done something that I wasn't supposed to do, do you know what he told me right after he was finished spanking me? I'm doing this because I love you. Really? None of them thought he was really serious. And so what has my father taught me? That when someone puts their hands on you, they're doing it because they love you. And so now that I'm an adult, and I've been taught this as a child, he's doing this because he's loved me. Now, let's say, for instance, that you wasn't taught this and you may be a victim, right? Your abuser teaches this. Repeated patterns. I'm I'm arguing with you because I love you. I'm putting my hands on you because I love you, okay? Sometimes victims suffer from guilt or shame. They don't want to be seen. You know, you're walking around, and someone may look at you in in such a manner. They may say, um... 
you know, why are you looking at me like that? Or what do you think about that, right? How are we doing on time? I got it, okay. So let's get to this piece, the cycle of violence. So, okay, I got it. I'm got you. So in, in, in a romantic relationship, what happens? Okay, give me a physical act. This is how we categorize how abuse happens. So this is the person that's about to get out of their abusive relationship. What's the violent act? Just throw it out. Push. You come home and you thought that I was cheating on you with the boy next door. And so you pushed me, right? I fall on the floor and I cry. What might you do? Do something else or go home, right? Or you may leave the house. You leave the house. You come back. What might you say to me? I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. You know I love you. You know, I, you're the only one for me, and I just can't stand to see someone else, you know, with you, right? Here it is. When that happens, that's called the honeymoon phase. Have you all ever seen the movie Sleeping with the Enemy? Okay. In that movie, what happened, he would always commit a violent act. He would leave the house, go get flowers, go get a dress, go get something new, bring it back to their partner. The honeymoon stage is so serious because what it does is the goal is for the honeymoon phase is to make the victim forget what just happened. And that happens a lot in our abuse intervention program. If the abuser has a lot of money, sometimes the honeymoon phase can be trips to Hawaii, new house, new cars. Okay? After the honeymoon stage, tension builds. Life starts happening all over again. I may come back home and fix uh, chicken and you really want fish again, right? And so what happened is you will become more upset and then we back to the violent act again. And what we teach is what you can do to de-escalate that situation. Sometimes you may have to go take walks before you come home. If you know you haven't put forth your best effort at work, you may have to go home and take a walk before you come home. Call your partners and say, you know what, Let's go let me take a walk because I had a hard day at work, okay? Safety planning. We teach safety planning for victims. So if you are in a domestic violence relationship and you don't think that there's a lot of resource for the LGBT community, what we do is we have a, a list of things that we do. We actually have a lipstick project that we actually uh, did. Did you hear about that? What it is is we wrote, our executive director wrote OPI, which is a cosmetic line for lipsticks. They donated 300,000 lipsticks to us. We froze them, took the lipstick out, and we wrote safety plans, how to save money, numbers to contact, find a safe environment. And we rolled it up and we put it inside of the lipstick and we give it to people who are only victims. So if you all want some information about that, we can show you how to administer that. But you have to only give it to people that you know are victims. Because what a victim, will, what an abuser would do is he will look through your purse. Do you, think he, well, he, do you think he's smart enough to open that, that lipstick? He's not. He will not. He will Because he's looking for a specific thing. Okay? So we do that as well. Okay. Why do victims say? There's a lot of reasons. Fear, children, money, lack of shelters. Why would the LGBT community say? Lack of family support. Well, we see a lot of amongst young and youth individuals who are part of the LGBT community, they don't say anything or they stay in their relationships because the family has disowned them. The family don't have anything to do with them. So who can I call? This person is the only person that loves me, so I have to stay with this individual, okay? Another uh, couple of reasons why is the religion, guilt, shame of embarrassment, you know, denial, and the periods of their honeymoon stage when they're not violent. I share with you all that abusers are so charming that their period of nonviolence is so romantic, right? And so you enjoy that so much that you'll just tolerate 
the abuse so that you get to the romantic period, okay? Uh, that, that, that. And so at our agency, we offer a lot of different services. Like I said, we do service the south suburb region. But if you do live in the city, you can come to our agency. You, we have a 24-hour hotline, bilingual hotline. So what happens is an abuser, male or female, call. You're unsafe. We will get you safe. My supervisor, actually, is also the supervisor over the hotline. Brianne, sometimes in the middle of the night, will leave her house and find shelter for a family. So we do everything we can to make sure that families are safe, okay? So real quick, just to share these silent witnesses, um, these are individuals that we know of or have service that was killed in the cause of domestic violence. Okay. Now this actually was here was the freakiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life when I started when I got the new office. And I was like, Well what is this? And these are actually carvings that our volunteers have done and of victims and they share their stories. So they do not have to be directly correlated in with our agency, but someone who has lost their life and as well as a child as a child who lost their life in domestic violence. Okay? So any questions that you all may have for us? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Why would I come out and no one knows that I'm gay? Or I'm a man who enjoys having sex with men. You know that's the new term that we're looking at now. That isolation piece is so strong because if they do come out, they will be double isolated. Isolated from their partners as well as their friends and families who actually thought that they were straight. Okay? And so an individual who is, who is, who is not out and who is in the closet, that's a lot of emotional abuse that's going on. And they feel pressured to stay in that relationship. For one, if they don't want to have to find another relationship. And I can speak personally for someone who used to mess with down low brothers. You know, that's all I used to mess with when I was younger, right? That is such a self-hatred thing to do, to be engaged with someone like that. Because they don't like themselves. They know if they won't come out, no one will probably probably want to be around them. And the only person they can actually cling to is their partner, right? This is the only life I know, is what they'll say. Because we do have individuals who stay um, in the closet for many years, very many years. You look at the older population, and they're the ones who are good examples, classic examples of individuals who have stayed in relationship for 20 and 30 years, and no one knows. And they may be very much so well being a domestic violence relationship. But because of that secret that you're carrying around for so long, does that answer your question? Okay. Any other questions? Pretty good. Okay. Well, this is my information. If you happen to know someone who is in the domestic violence relationship or you want some questions about anything, everything that we do at South Suburban Family Shelter is kept strictly, strictly confidential. Even if you talk to me after this, we won't say anything. And we trust that if someone comes up to you and share anything about domestic violence, that you keep that confidential as well because safety is key. And if you do not abide by that um, confidentiality, you will break that victim safety. Okay? Thank you so much, everyone. Okay? Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. 
For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.